All right, this morning, real quick, before we dive deep into the message, uh, here, here's a question for you. And again, we've been talking in church more often because it's good to talk. It's good. I, I don't like when you just come and have to stare at me and listen. It's good to talk amongst yourself. So uh, if, if any of you are old enough to remember Mike Myers on uh, uh, SNL, Linda Richmond, I'll give you a topic, okay? Uh, here's what I want you guys to, to discuss real quick. I don't want you to discuss who you think is going to win the Super Bowl tonight. Some of you probably are thinking in your mind, what is the Super Bowl? It is tonight. I have no idea who's playing. Uh, instead, let's be honest, I think a, a, a thing that everyone, even if you don't like the Super Bowl, even if you don't like any of that, I think we can all agree that as Americans, we love a good chance to eat food that no human probably should have created with lots of calories and things like that. So uh, I, I want you real quick to find someone around you, say hi, uh, tell them your name, and then tell them what is your favorite Super Bowl food. It could be a snack, it could be a main dish, it could be a side thing, it could be a dessert, uh, but share what it is. One, two, three, go. All right, bring it back in. How many of your dishes involve cheese? Goodness, if it's not a dessert, your hand should be raised. So my wife, who is not here today because we had the loveliness of the stomach flu hitting our house this week, which, can I just tell you, uh, your children can ruin spaghetti night very quickly. Um, thankfully, we are generally on the mend and all good, so... Um, but I, I don't know about you guys, when it, when it comes to, I mean, you could go pizza, you could go wings, you could go all sorts of stuff, but there is something just delicious, right, about the, the block of Velveeta cheese that you're questioning whether or not there's actually any dairy or any real food inside of it, with the chili that you're not sure, which is uh, Mitchell Rigsby's uh, old family recipe, um, with a Hormel chili inside there, they did pay me to say their name in the sermon, um, you know, that, like, a queso dip, can it really be beaten? I don't know. That's just, that, that's, that's mine. It has nothing to do with today other than I'm hungry and I'm excited about that. Uh, today we are in uh, one of the final weeks of our series called Values for a Vision. And if you haven't been here, uh, we as a church community have been talking about um, some new direction in which God has been um, uh, calling us to go towards. And, and we've been looking at this idea of vision in particular, not so much from the idea of what are the things we do, but more of the idea of who do we believe God wants us to become. And so we've been looking at what these um, seven core values might look like for us as a church community, that they are aspirational, that they are a call for us as individuals, but also as a um, church community as well. And so far, we've talked about being rooted in Jesus. We've talked about being persistent in prayer. We've looked at this idea of being gracious in love, radical in generosity. And last week, we talked about this idea of being eager to serve. And today, uh, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about this idea of being committed to community. Being committed to community. 
In Psalm 37, it says this, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Now, one of my favorite things sometimes in doing um, biblical studies is to be reminded that uh, the Bible was um, written in another language, and, and sometimes the translations aren't always perfect, where we have to look at the, the original word and what it meant versus what we see in English. And uh, can I tell you guys, after doing a, a big deal of study, what everything actually means in the scripture in this moment? Everything. <laughs> There's no, there's no crazy thing. I, I say all this at the forefront because we're going to be talking a lot about community this morning, what it looks like to be in community, what it looks like to strive for community, fight for community, our need, our desire for community. But I want to say this up front because sometimes what we've, we, we've primarily done during these um, talks of um, these values has been kind of like the, 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 the goal, whether it's um, Jesus, whether it's prayer, whether it's love, all of these sort of things. And in this one, in many ways, the idea of commitment is as important as the idea of community. You see, I believe that we live uh, in a time of high expectation and low commitment. High expectation, low commitment. What I mean by that is we live in a world where everyone is kind of under a microscope, right? We have things like digital footprints. We have things where people tend to know when things happen. There's cameras everywhere. And so for many of us, we have incredibly high expectations. It's interesting that over time throughout human history, we've realized that people don't change that much. We continue to deal with some of the same things over and over and over. There may be kind of new players and new sort of um, intricacies in there, but people continue to be selfish and greedy and lustful and doing all sorts of things. And yet, for whatever reason, our expectations continue to go really high on people. While on the same level, our actual expectations of ourselves have gone lower. And we have these grandiose ideas of friendship and family and community with very low commitment ourselves into them. We desire these things. And oftentimes we have tons of legitimate, illegitimate, and all sorts of just the run of the gamut of excuses of why we do not commit to community, why we don't um, desire to fight for friendship and family, things like this. For some of us, we say, well, I just don't have enough time. My life, you don't understand, my, my work schedule, my kids' extracurriculars, all of these sort of things. I don't have enough time. Some of us would say, if we're just being real, with all the time and things like that, I don't know if I have the energy. <laughs> I've even heard some people like, I just don't think God made me a people person. For some, uh, we, we desire community with people who are at the same age, same stage. They look like you, act like you, think like you, vote like you, all of these sort of things. And so for many of us, we say, I can't really do community because well, where I have been placed in my sphere of influence, in my workplace, in my church, all that sort of stuff. There's not people like me, so I, I, I can't do community because, well, there's not people like me here. Other people will have excuses like uh, that we, 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 want, we want kind of like, hey, I, I need people to go 90 and I go 10. How many of you guys remember the movie Hitch with uh, Will Smith and Kevin James? Um, you know, the guy who slapped the person, the other guy who was the, the, the mall cop. Uh, I don't know if you remember, I always remember. It's a weird movie that I'll never forget because the first time I watched it for whatever reason was with my grandparents, which is a weird movie to watch with your grandparents, by the way. It's not like that bad, but it's just, it's still just, it's, it's uncomfortable. Anyways, in the movie, uh, Will Smith plays this guy where he's sort of like this dating love doctor person and he's helping out 
Kevin James, who's this kind of dorkier guy. And he tries to tell him this whole idea that like, okay, the, the goal is that you as this guy, if you really want to sweep this girl off your feet, you got to go the 90 so she only has to go 10. It makes sense, I guess. Uh, but I think a lot of us do that in friendships and community. I'm not talking about kissing right now, by the way. Uh, what I mean by that is I am saying that many of us want someone else to go 90% in, to do all the inviting, all the planning, all the sacrificing, all the encouragement, all the challenging, and we only have to do like 10%. And the truth is that's not how it works. So many of us give up on that because we don't find the people who want to invest way in with our small investment in. And the other reason, which is a very real one, and I understand, is for a lot of us, we've been hurt. We've experienced like, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I went the 90, and they didn't show up. Or someone broke my trust. Someone didn't show up when I needed them. And can I say that? That's a real, real thing that's really hard. Oftentimes, in particular, if we have experienced broken trust, it can take a long time to repair. But every single excuse at its core, is an excuse. Because every single one of us, whether we like it or not, whether we are a people person or not, we are in desperate need for community. We need it. Research shows that uh, more than three in five Americans have reported being chronically lonely, and that number is on the rise. By the way, that, that, that comes from a study pre COVID. So many of us, I think at times, like we, we use COVID like the ultimate excuse. I was telling some, um, some kids this morning about how you don't understand how wonderful kids are to a parent for making excuses, right? Like when, when I had like baby babies, that was so easy to be like, ah, sorry, they're napping, we can't come, right? Like they're just a great excuse. Uh, but sometimes I think we look back and we're like, well, COVID just ruined relationships and things like that. Like, I think we maybe, like, the way that sometimes we talk about how the world has changed since COVID, which is true, I think people who didn't live before then would be like, wow, there is a utopia going on here. Like, people hung out all the time. They were kind. They were good. They were in shape. They had their money together, right? And it's a real thing. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to, uh, you know. But, but in some ways, we, we have used those things as excuses. But here's the thing that's crazy about some of this, that we, 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 we fail to understand, that many of us are dealing with loneliness, and it is actually something that is detrimental to your health. Some scientists are actually warning that loneliness uh, has uh, just as bad, or if not worse, effects on your uh, health, even more so than other sort of things like smoking and all sorts of interesting things. It is incredibly important to every single person. And yet many of us do not go about fighting for it. Yet scripture talks about how important community and friendship and belonging is. In Psalm 133, which is one of my favorite uh, verses because eventually it talks about how uh, Aaron had a beard. And I always used to like to point out to uh, kids when I was a youth pastor that my beard is biblical. But... It begins the 133rd Psalm by saying this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You see, I always think about it like this. Every single one of us were created with our natural factory default setting to be children of God. 
And because of sin, that has, that has ruined that, yet because of God's grace, every single one of us are invited to come home. But as court, God is just a dad whose great desire is for his children to get along. Every once in a while, my, my, my sons are six and three, and every once in a while, there's quietness in my house, which usually I am frightened by. But every once in a while, and if you're a parent you, and you have multiple kids in particular, you, you know this feeling. Every once in a while, you feel like you have walked in on this crazy rare moment where your kids are like harmoniously getting along, like they like each other for a minute. You're like, what? God is real. But that is God's great desire. He wants them for that. And again, when God created us, he created us with this innate need and desire for this. You see, uh, one way to put it is that we have a longing for belonging. Every single one of us at our core have something deep inside the core of who we are that we have this desire to be seen and to be known and to know people and see people. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter um, how you, why you think you aren't. Every single one of us were created for these things. But one of the things that I've found, at least for my own self, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, is that, that sometimes I have this longing for a community that isn't real. I, I have these ideas in my mind of what friendship and community should be. And oftentimes my thoughts and dreams actually are what keep me from it. And one of my favorite books ever written called um, Life Together by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who has this incredible story where he um, was, was sort of a, a resistance of um, the Nazi regime in Germany. And uh, he was an incredible pastor and theologian. He, he, he says this about um, uh, community and how we have to be careful about how we dream about it. He said, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Put another way, sometimes uh, our, our, our dream of community can sabotage the actual community that God has given us. You know, I have found, at least in my own life, that sometimes God doesn't give us the community that we want. He gives us the community that we need. And that's really hard. I remember at my last church um, I, I was a um, newly single guy in the metro Detroit area in a town that was incredible for raising families, um, not so fun if you were a single 20-something. And I remember just praying, like, God, give me community. And in my mind, what I was really trying to say, I was trying to say a couple things. One, give me beautiful single women who love Jesus around me, and give me people who like all the same things that I like. And the truth is, the vast majority of my community during that time were people younger than me, people older than me, people who liked things I didn't necessarily like, and people who didn't like the things I liked. And honestly, when I think back about it, it was a season of time where in many ways I actually felt really seen and really known and really loved. And yet, I didn't necessarily have tons of people around me who we did all the same things, liked all the same things. It was a great reminder for me that, again, sometimes God doesn't give us the community that we think that we want. Oftentimes, we think we know best when God really does. Because one of the things that, that is important to realize is that community oftentimes is a place that God will use for us to be shaped and refined, to be healed, to be restored, to be encouraged. 
And the truth is, sometimes we walk into that not even realizing what we need. You know, I think about um, how often um, my boys don't understand what they need. When my son Silas, who, who will turn four soon, um, was sick and, you know, he had the stomach flu and he's like throwing up, I'd be like, buddy, what can I get you? And he's like, can I have a milkshake? He's like, no, <laughs> this is a bad idea. Two days after um, making pasta go all across our um, bathroom, uh, he's like, can I have the pasta again? I'm like, no. He's like, no, let's just, how about a banana, some crackers? But again, sometimes we don't realize what we actually need. But God always does. Now let's talk a little bit about um, some theology, some understanding of, of why community is important, why God sees it as important, why he sees it as something that we need, why it's something that as a church body and as individuals we need to fight for and commit to. Uh, the first thing is just this, God exists in community. When, when, we, when we look at Scripture, um, we realize that we, we serve what we call a triune God, which is a fancy word that old dead theologians, you know, gave many years ago, but this idea that we serve a God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this isn't one of those things where it's like, well, this one's in charge of this, and there's not really, there's not an org chart. There's not like, well, the Father's here, the Son's here, da, da. It, it's all together in one. And God exists in community himself. And so one of the reasons why community is so important, why God created us to be people of community is, as we've been talking about this idea of values, is this idea of reflecting our God, our Savior to others. And so by engaging in community, friendship, family, all of these sort of things, we are reflecting who God is, how God operates. God is a God of community, and so we will reflect that by engaging in ourselves. Because again, God exists in community. It's simple but complex. And the other thing is, as I've already said before, but it's important just to, to clarify again, saying it, God made us for community. He didn't make it for sort of like an afterthought. It's not an upgrade. It's not like when you're at Chipotle and they're like, do you want guac? It's extra. This is the main course. This is the bowl or, or, or tortilla, whichever you want. This is a hugely important thing. Uh, in a book I've been reading lately that's uh, been really fascinating uh, by a lady named Jenny Allen, it's called um, uh, Finding Your People. She, she put it this way. She said, uh, he created us out of relationship for relationship. We, we were created for this. You know, if we go back to the very beginning, the very first book of the Bible is Genesis, and it tells this, this, this creation narrative, the story of how God uh, created us and the heavens and the earth. And, and he, he tells this part where he created Adam, the first man in his image. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, 18. It says, uh, the Lord God said this, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, we get it twisted sometimes because we're like, well, obviously this is just an important part of procreation. This is a part of expanding all of these sort of things. And here's the thing. I, I, I'll say let's, let's halt the brakes for a minute. At this point, God has created a perfect reality. Does he need to multiply it? Do we know he's going to do it? We, we don't know any of that. Many of us are like, well, again, this is like marriage. It's good. It's important. Marriage is great. Marriage is blessed. But to me, when I see this, when I read this, as I, as I, as I go over more and more in time, in, in, in the longer that you're married in a healthy marriage, we, we realize, what? Marriage at its core, one of the greatest pieces is just community and intimacy together. Of course, there's some fun things, right? There's some perks. I don't have to get into that, those weird things. I don't need to make kids feel weird in here right now. Um, 
But God created this other person, Eve, not just not, not strictly for the purpose of a romantic partner, but for community. He saw that it was not good for this creation who he created in his image to be alone because, again, he exists in community. And so there's so much of, of us that we have to realize that it's incredibly important. This was all by design. It wasn't, wasn't by accident that we all have been made for community. That God would look at all of us and say, it is not good for fill in your blank name to be alone. It's not. This morning, I want to I look at one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. It comes from the Gospel of Luke um, chapter 5. And it's, it, it's on the heels of Jesus calling his disciple. His, um, which, which, can we just clarify for a second? I heard someone say this once, and I, I think it's pretty impressive. We oftentimes talk about the miracles of Jesus, right? And we're like, man, he turned water into wine. He walked on water. He rose from the dead, all that sort of stuff. As I get older, maybe one of the most impressive miracles that Jesus has is having 12 best friends in his 30s. That's incredible. Uh, anyone willing to admit friendship in adulthood is hard? It's complicated. Especially if you, if you don't live where you grew up, where you might not have built-in you know, friends from past in school or family like that. It can be tough. Um, you know, I, I've twice lived in, well, I guess three times in, in adulthood, have lived in places that I was not from. It's interesting, and I'm, I'm kind of an outgoing people person. It is interesting getting there. But so this is on the heels of Jesus um, calling his 12 disciples, beginning some of this journey of friendship and discipleship with them. And this is one of the first moments that happens. And this is what it says, starting in verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. It goes on. It says this. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Carried a paralyzed, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could find no way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, let's set the stage here for a minute. So, ancient culture, especially in Roman culture, it was very normal for there to be a guest of honor, oftentimes in a wealthier person's house, where it could be a rabbi, someone like that who's a teacher of law, or someone who just was like a philosopher of that time. And they might take them and bring them into a home. This was a great honor for a person. And so they might be in a home, and people would gather around to hear them teaching. Kind of a normal, kind of general thing that's happening. Now, can you imagine, like, you're one of those people inside. I always think about, like, can you imagine being, like, the homeowner? Like, all of a sudden, like, you're, you're like, I'm, I'm, I've got a pretty good crowd here. I feel like a good host. Like, I'm feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden, you start kind of seeing, like, dust falling from the ceiling, right? Which is never a good sign. Um, and then you start, can kind of hear things moving around and, and shaking and go over there. Uh, this is an incredible um, thing. Then all of a sudden you see, you know, kind of like a Mission Impossible type lowering of a person onto a mat, and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? Now, there's so much layers to this story that are interesting to me. One of the things that's incredibly interesting to me is just this. Ancient culture, oftentimes, if you were a person who would have something that we would de deem as abnormal, a defect, whether it was from birth or otherwise, oftentimes you were kind of shunned on the 
outskirts. Now, we don't know this man's story, but it's interesting to me that for whatever reason, even though he has this physical ailment and deformity, it's, it's why oftentimes when we read in the Gospels, there are people who have these different things going on. They're on the side of the road begging. It's because oftentimes they were not seen as having value. In that time, again, some people would even say like, well, it must be the sin of yourself or a family member that's gotten you this. They were very um, uh, superstitious. They were not, as Michael Scott would say, a little stitious. They were very superstitious at times. And so um, they likely would not want to like associate with a person like that. A person like that oftentimes would be viewed and looked at as kind of like, like dead weight in a lot of ways. And so it's fascinating to me that he had friends who actually loved and cared for him and had heard about what was going on with Jesus and, 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 and saw this, this opening, this desire to do this. And, and it reminds me of one of the beauties of, of community, one of the beauties of, of just the good news of Jesus Christ is that love always finds a way. Love always finds a way. And what I mean by that is love, true love, true friendship, true community, does not take no for an answer. It would have been so easy for those guys to, one, never carry this man on a mat to go there. It would have been so easy to be like, it would have been honestly even easy for them to be like, hey, Bill, really sorry about this. We'll come back every so often and visit you. And no one would have thought any different, right? But they, they, they had this love and desire and faith to say, let's take our friend. And it would have been so easy for them, right, to have excuses when they got there to say, ah, man, it's really I don't know if we can do it. It had been so easy, and yet love compelled them to say, huh, what if we got on the roof? And honestly, I hadn't I, I, I thought about it, but, but some of the some scholars I was reading this week as I was studying thought about, too, they, they probably likely calculated out the idea that, like, hey, we're willing to commit this vandalism. We're willing to, 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 to pay for someone's roof because we believe so much in wanting to get our friend help. But they did this. And so Jesus, again, of this whole crowd, everything's going on there. This man just lowers him, which I would love to be there because I just can't decide if I think Jesus would have just like stopped and done like what we all would have been like, whoa. Or if he, or if he, you know, I, part of me thinks Jesus probably just continues on and just like, ah, whatever. Um, but this is what it says in the story. This is what it says in, in scripture. It says this, when Jesus saw their faith, not when he saw this paralyzed man's faith, when he saw their faith, indicating his friend's faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, we're not going to go down the bunny trail of all of um, what Jesus was, was trying to show uh, in this story, because in many ways he was trying to get to them understanding this thing, which is really important, by the way, uh, that it's more important for you to be spiritually healed than physically healed in many ways. But eventually, spoiler alert, he not only forgives this man's sins, but eventually he heals the man's physical um, ailment that's going on. But I think it's so fascinating, right? We, we oftentimes have been conditioned, and it's, it's really true, right, that every single one of us um, who desire to follow Jesus, that's an individual choice. As much as I want to, like I, my son's Gideon in his house, as much as I desire, I pray, I try to do all the things, uh, hoping that they will follow Jesus, I cannot follow Jesus for them. At, at some point in life, they have to make that choice and do that. 
And yet, it's interesting because we see throughout Scripture, and in particular in this moment, this importance of the faith of others deeply affecting the outcome of someone else. I like to think about it being from the standpoint that in many ways, faith is uh, a team sport. It's almost think about wrestling or um, tennis or things like that where, where you individually are competing, but also that you are part of a larger team and how it really matters. But there's a couple things that I learned from this story that I think are really important and worth noting when it comes to community. The first thing is this. Uh, our friend's faith can be key to our healing. So many of us have been um, tricked by the enemy to feel like we need to do everything on our own. And in particular, deal with healing, deal with sin, deal with shame. And yet, we see more and more that oftentimes it is the friends of ours who come alongside, who encourage, who are willing to go the extra mile, who are willing to call us out, can be key and instrumental in our healing. The second thing is this. Sometimes we need others to carry us to the feet of Jesus. I cannot say this enough over and over how incredibly important this is. This is why it's incredibly important to have community with other believers. It's good and important to have friends of, of all backgrounds and things like that. But one of the things why it's really important is the truth is every single one of us will get beaten down in life. We'll have the curveball thrown that we are not expecting. The relationship that begins to have friction in things that you weren't expecting. The medical diagnosis, the job that just got lost, all of that sort of stuff. And the truth is, it's going to be really easy to walk away from Jesus. And honestly, it's really hard sometimes to turn around and come back by yourself. Sometimes we really need others who love us enough to say, hey, I know you need to get there. Or maybe you don't even know that you need to get there. And I know you don't have the strength. I'll carry you there. What you do once you get there is your choice. But I'll carry you there. And the last thing is this. Community often is a place that helps us most heal and be refined. Every single one of us have junk. Every single one of us have wounds. Every single one of us have blind spots. We have edges. We have things that, that, that at our core, if, if we really were to allow God to really take over and transform our lives, we have some things that he could take care of. And community is one of the best ways to deal with that. Because one, when we, when we do it in community, we realize that we're not the only one. When we do it in community, we have perspective that God can help give us that we don't have on our own. And we also have grace givers. You know, so many of us, sometimes, what we really need at our core is a hug. A hug from God. And I think one of the beauties of community is sometimes there is this opportunity that we have when we enter into community to be for others, but also to receive from others that grace, that forgiveness, that sense of hope, and all of that. I love the way that Pastor Rich Velotis, who's a pastor in Queens, New York, who pastors one of the arguably most diverse churches that I've ever heard of. I think they... They say they're a church of like 2,000 people, and they have like, I want to say like 500 different nations represented. So they have all sorts of interesting melting pots where there'd be all sorts of friction and things like that. But he says this, we are wounded in community, and we are healed in community. No way around it. Healing may not come from the community where the wounding took place, but community is needed for healing nothingness. We have to deal 
with the fact that community is going to be the place where we experience this. We, we commit to all of this because we realize that, that when, when Jesus came, he set up his kingdom, and then he, he left uh, the keys to the kingdom in the hands of his disciples. What he left with them was not a government, was not a program, was not any of those sort of things. It was a community. In Acts, it says this, Acts chapter 2, this is sort of this beautiful picture of the early church when it was at its most pure. Uh, it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had, and they sold their property and possessions, and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to the fellowship of those who were being saved. Now again, when I read this, I'm not making a clarion call for like, all right guys, let's start a commune right now. But one of the things that I think was so incredible about this moment, that I think we, we miss out on, on, on the early church, is just this idea that they were not only devoted to, uh, they, they were in particular devoted to just the teachings, the way of Jesus, which involved deep community a fellowship together. You know, we live in a world where we have idealized individual, uh, individuality, individual self-autonomy, getting to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And I, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. I get jazzed when I get random moments by myself. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with alone time, right? There's, there's not saying that at all. But the issue is oftentimes when we are left to our own wants and desires, without accountability, without the Holy Spirit, we lean into those things. And many of us, in the same way that we make an idol out of the community that we wish we have, we also make an idol out of isolation and alone time. And the truth is, all of those things are, are an idol, and an idol is something that we, we put in the place of God and what he best wants for us, and all of those things will leave us broke and broken. Community is the way forward. In Romans chapter 12, it says this, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but putting your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Friends, I don't think I have to say a lot more, but again, it's incredibly important that if we really want to see um, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we got to start practicing it now. We have to begin to share our needs and our struggles and our desires with one another. In fact, I talked with my, my friend Carol Klaus, who has been a part of our church for a long time, about just this need and desire for prayer, for people to just be willing to say, who cares if anyone else knows? Like, it's important that we are dealing with things that are more than just flesh and blood and, 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 and here today and gone. You know, we're not dealing, we're dealing with eternal things that sometimes we, for whatever reason, have allowed the ways of the world to trick us into isolating and staying in ourselves. And if we were to commit to community, commit to being there for one another, it'd be so great. But here's, here's a couple last few thoughts about community and as we commit to it. 
The first thing is just this. We get out of community what we put into it. We get out of community what we put into it. Again, uh, in many ways, relationships are investments. If you're not willing to put much in, you're probably not going to get much out. I find lots of people who desire to be a part of something, but very few who really want to like actually invest and lead and commit to something. We need that. Honestly, I, just be, be real with you, a few years ago, I, I felt kind of down and bummed on myself about like, man, I feel like a lot of acquaintances and not a lot of friends. And I began, though, to like take an inventory and realize, you know what, there's a lot of times where I'm not willing to risk. I'm not willing to sacrifice. I'm not willing to do these things. And I'm not saying things are, are, are perfect or great now, but like I, I look back now and I can say I'm so grateful for the ways that either people that came into my life, um, things I was willing to open up about, things I was willing to, to risk and be um, vulnerable and, and just be consistent with people. Because at its core, even community, even friendship, isn't always fun. And oftentimes in the times where we feel like, ah, oh, goodness, this is hard, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, it's really easy to quit, but it's oftentimes right beyond that that we get to the best parts. So we get out of community what we put into it. The second thing is this, we cannot be in real communion with Christ without being in real community with others. Again, I've, I've met a lot of people who, who I understand, especially have, have some church hurt, very legitimate church hurt. There have been times where people who claim the name of Christ have, have, have caused harm to them through judgment or condemnation or shame or things like that. And hear me on that like, I'm so sorry if that is you. Um, but I also want you to know that if Jesus is real, if he's really good, if you really believe he's your savior, you have to push through. Think about it. We're not doing something that he, we're not doing something that he asked us to do that he didn't do himself. I mean, think about it. Every single person who followed him abandoned him. His 12 best friends, one of them sold him out. Another one denied him three times. Other ones just bailed. And yet when, when he came back and he showed up, he gave them love and grace he empowered them once more. In the same way, for many of us, we need to risk again. We need to show up. And for many of us, we need to, to actually desire to know Christ by knowing others. Now, there's lots of tangible ways that I could give you. And uh, Curtis is going to come out and we're going to sing one last song. But um, they won't be up on the screen, but there's lots of tangible ways. I mean, getting involved in, in a group or study, I promise we're, we're working on more. But again, one of the things that I struggle having a hard time with that I find is lots of people would love to be a part of something in community, even at church. Very few people want to lead anything. And it's really, really hard to plug people into a place where no one wants to lead. And so maybe, maybe even in this moment, God's like, oh, gosh, man, maybe it's us. Community isn't, in its core isn't that hard. Most of it is just showing up being present, listening, loving. Other practical ways are just making things like church a priority consistently, finding people in and around you just to ask, to risk something even today and say, hey, do you want to go to lunch together? Hey, what's your name? So many of us, like we get this social anxiety, which I understand is a real thing, don't get me wrong, but like I think we have talked ourselves up to this of like, I can't, I can't introduce myself to someone. They might think I'm weird. First week or so of um, my son going to kindergarten, 
It was awesome because he was real nervous about it. He's like, I don't know anyone. I don't have any friends. I gave him this, this small advice. Go up to them and say, hi, my name's Gideon. What's your name? That's it. He came back the next few days. Dad, it worked. I have friends. <sighs> but honestly, in adulthood, we have tricked ourselves into thinking that some of those things don't work. Continue to make the asks, to show up. Make peace with the fact that, yes, you might experience rejection, that, yes, some of it may be awkward, but it is good and it is worth it. Most things that end up being incredibly good for us are hard or awkward at the beginning. They just are. But we have to keep pushing through on these things. Risk asking uh, uh, someone to, uh, to, to go to lunch at work to just do something, risk asking someone. Sometimes we also have, have kind of like made peace with like, ah, surface level friendship's great. Like find someone who will be a partner in prayer, an accountability partner. Do some of those things or do something great. This week, honestly, I got a phone call on Thursday where I'm like, I'm honestly, I'm at home. There is bleach everywhere because there is germs everywhere. And uh, I get a phone call that just says, hey, check your porch. And, and friends from church had, had come and just brought like a little care package for our boys. We didn't ask them to do that. They didn't do that. They did that out of just an opportunity and a desire to love. And it makes all the difference in the world. Because yes, I don't want you to physically be with me in that moment. But it matters. Community is something that's worth fighting for. Community is something that is hard. But community is something that's good. I'm going to ask you this time if you guys would go ahead and stand uh, with me uh, and join me, as pray- join me in prayer, and uh, we're going to sing one last song. Let's pray. Uh, Father, again, you are, um, you are so, so good, and we are grateful for the way that you, um, you desire to um, push us to do things that maybe we don't always want to do. And Father, we confess, I, I confess, sometimes I, I, I don't want community. Sometimes I want to be alone. And that's not always bad, but Father, I know that sometimes there are prolonged seasons where I desire that, and it's because the enemy has convinced me that either I'm not worthy, or I'm not good enough, or no one will love me, or no one will, will embrace me. And Father, I pray this morning that maybe even, even today could begin some sense of healing, some sense of new relationships. That Father, I pray that we would be a, a church community that is committed to one another in big ways and small ways. In little things like remembering each other's names or, or giving high fives to the big things like helping each other move or, 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 or just lifting each other up in prayer at our worst times. Father, don't let us settle for, for small surface type of friendships, but may we push for ones that we desire to be vulnerable and open, transparent. Because, Father, we know in the midst of that is where you are, where you desire to do some of the greatest work. So, Father, in this, in this moment, would we commit to that community? And would we first begin by maybe just committing to being in community with you? That we know that you have such a great desire to be a friend to us. You are called a friend to sinners, and that's what we are. Father, this morning I pray that maybe for some this may be the first moment for us to experience this beautiful gift called grace where we just acknowledge our own sin, our own, 
our own shame, our own brokenness, and say, Father, we, we want to be with you now and forevermore. We know that if we just acknowledge our sin and, and proclaim you as Lord, that, that we would not only live with you in eternity forever, but we would live a life that is different today. Father, for some of us in this moment, maybe there's a person who came to mind, someone that we need to, to reconcile with, someone who we feel like, man, I feel like they've placed, God's placed that person in my life, and I just need to invest in that relationship. Or, or, or maybe there's even someone we've realized that God just continues to bring up, and we just need to finally have the courage to just say yes to, like, know them better. Father, I pray that you would help us crucify our dreams of community that keep us from the real community. You would help us reprioritize our lives to make sure that excuses don't get in the way of these things that are so important, not only for today, but for eternity. Most of all, Father, just thank you for your love. As we sing this song, help us listen and help us have the courage to respond to whatever you call us to. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.